Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. This is the Bump and Stacy show. We got Curtis Rogers filling in, and it is March. Is it March? No, we got Almost one more March. day. It's Almost a leap. March. It's a leap year. Leap year. Got me. One more One more black, uh, day of Black History Month. <laughs> All right. But uh, it's March. It's uh, soon to be March. That means baseball is getting started. And uh, who else will we want to talk to down in Peoria? We got Shannon Dreyer. Shannon, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. Um, you know, we got some... Uh, some interesting news. Brash is a bit banged up. Uh, Kirby doesn't have a great outing. Curtis and I aren't really concerned about Kirby and his uh, his struggles to start the season. Curtis laid out a stat that pretty much said that this is what Kirby does. Doesn't go out there and really have his stuff working early in spring training. Uh, but what you see out of Kirby and, and what are your feelings on, on the Brash situation? I don't worry about a first outing from anybody. The stuff actually looked good. Just wasn't hitting its spots completely. Ball gets through the middle infield. Um, it, it just, he got his work in and that's all that matters. But I don't even think it was a struggle at that. So just not worried about it. He looks great in camp right now. Um, love what we're seeing from him. Love the attitude. And uh, I think he's going to have a fantastic season. I'm, I'm saying that I think, you know, I've got him as a Cy Young finalist if all goes well. So we'll see what happens there. The brash situation is concerning. We're really not getting any answers on it. And when it drags on as long as it does, um, you know, I'm not saying this is going on, but the experience that I have is it usually means something is getting looked at and then something is getting a second opinion when it takes this long. So uh, I, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very important part of that bullpen, which is a very important, important part of what the Mariners want to do this year. So, I think the uh, kind of scrutiny on the other relievers that were brought into camp all of a sudden becomes that much larger, that they might need to go out and find another Paul Seawalt type, develop another, um, you know, the kind of the magic that they have done on any number of relievers. You might uh, be looking at that more than ever right now, but we don't know anything for sure as of yet. But, it, you know, I'm uneasy with what we are seeing right now. Yeah, to, uh, to that Matt Brash point, Shannon, Bump and I were kind of talking about potential fixes, especially if it carries on into the regular season and, and any time further than that. Uh, do you think they go and maybe try to acquire another bullpen arm or you could potentially look to add offensively to take some of the workload off of your bullpen, you know, instead of having so many one and two run ball games, maybe you're entering the sixth, seventh, eighth innings with bigger leads. Is that a route that the Mariners you think could take in, in potentially addressing this Matt Brass situation? I don't think so. Unless something is like made easy you know, available to them in terms of trade. I, I don't think it's a signing. Um, it, be it offense or if it is an arm, a major arm you know, at that. I, I think that they do every year bring in a lot of arms that are interesting, that they think that they can tweak something, and all of a sudden they turn into a little something. And this camp is no different. We're seeing guys that, okay, that guy definitely has got stuff. How can they better use it? How can they turn it into something that can be effective perhaps in a pivot role? And maybe – it's going to have to be effective in an even more important role. We'll see. But, it, it again, it's early in spring training. We were kind of watching, you know, yesterday. We saw Carlos Vargas have a very nice outing, and the stuff was electric. 
can knock on him as he was a guy that could throw 100 but didn't always know where it was going. And we didn't see the 100. We saw 95, but we saw some pretty good breaking pitch. And the 95 that we saw also had good movement. So what are they doing to try and kind of tweak things with him? Uh, Cower is another one he's going to pitch today that has shown very good stuff in the bullpen. And we'll see if there is something there. So I think, you know, if indeed you have lost an arm for any amount of time, I really think it is probably on the pitching development staff to develop somebody further. And we've seen that the last couple of years. It'll be interesting to see what shakes out. Shannon, another injury. I don't even want to call it an injury. He just banged up a little bit. Uh, Julio Rodriguez has some soreness in his hand. I asked Curtis this question, but I want to ask you too. Um, how many at-bats do you think Julio needs to, to be ready for opening day? Hmm. Probably not a lot. Uh, you know, he probably needs to get into maybe – 15 games um I, I you know there's no concern just you're absolutely right don't be worried about it uh, we think uh, he could possibly hit on the field here today it looks like he'll do a little hitting in the cages and if he feels really good he might go out and hit on a backfield or something like that but he's progressing uh, came in in great shape and great work and uh, this sometimes can turn into a little bit of a blessing with a player like julio that you are going to lean on that is going to play every day and sometimes it's kind of hard to hold those guys back a little bit in spring training and sometimes there isn't a choice as there is right now because you know the hand is sore but everything is moving in the right direction right now and uh, i think if you got him a couple weeks of games you'd be fine shannon commissioner rob manfred visiting mariners camp today (laughs) he spoke to the players uh did you hear anything about what he spoke with them about or are are you guys going to get a chance to talk to him too no, no. And honestly, it's kind of the same speech that you hear at every camp. So it's fine that we don't. Uh, he'll, he, I think early on when he does the 30 camp uh, tour and in some of the bigger areas, he will take a question and answer from the media. But you don't hear anything different in those. As far as the players go, it was a closed door players only meeting with Rob Manfred and a couple of others from the league, and I think that uh, if you were listening to Brock and Salk this morning, you heard a little bit about the things that were discussed. Cal Raleigh talked about it, that you know the RSN was one of the situations that was talked about, and then the uniforms were one of the situations that was talked about as well, and I think a little news coming out of that from Cal in saying that it does look like it is going to be addressed. So, um, you know, this happens every year, and some unique, uh, some unique things going on, you know, from uh, how they're going to broadcast games to what they're going to look like out on the field. I love watching um, the guys who you know are going to be in the roster in the dugout cheering out, cheering for these other guys when they make plays, right? It reminds me of a Friday night when I'm, I'm coaching high school football and the JV guys are in and everyone's just so excited for them. Are there any one of those guys you feel like are making a great impression on, on the staff of this organization? So I think, you know, you've probably heard a lot about Cole Young, the shortstop, number one prospect in the organization, and he has impressed in the work that he has done on the fields early, and they've kind of kept him with the number ones, and he has been shadowing J.P. Crawford and and learning that way. But then also when we've gotten into games, you've seen, uh, you know, some heads-up plays from him, we've seen some flashy plays from him, and you've seen a little bit of situational hitting, which is nice too. It's always nice to see a home run, but maybe even sometimes better uh, to see the situational hitting and that they are staying within themselves, even in the big moment and playing in one of these games and driving a run in, which we know isn't as easy as it looks. So uh, I think that he certainly has opened some eyes. I think some of the younger pitchers are opening some eyes a little bit. Emerson Hancock, I think it's two springs in a row 
where you, you kind of expect one thing, which is a, a good standard, and you see a little bit more. I know there's a lot of excitement about what he's doing, and he is vital to this team because you know you're going to get to him at some point this season. Shannon, what has seen more traffic uh, so far in camp, the ping pong table or the basketball hoop out in the courtyard? Um, I think they both have, but the basketball hoop, I think they ought to keep that. It is just a, it's better than like a triple shot of espresso at 7.30 in the morning. You see them all come out, and there's a lot of energy going with that. So that's a lot of fun to see because it's almost a whole team, whole organization. It's not just the players, but the coaches and the analysts and front office and everybody else out here. Uh, but that, I think, is a hit. That's a first. Ping pong table has been around for a while. Uh, but uh, it is definitely great to see what's going on with the hoops competition. I think the finale is tomorrow. I don't think it's over quite yet. We'll have to wait and see. I love hearing that uh, service made uh, has a freaking fire miles, right? He goes to the Dominican, went down to Florida, and then drove to Kent to meet with his guys. I know that's not out of the norm, um, but, but um, what do you think that did for this team and what it does for this team moving forward? I think it's huge. I, I think that with all the uncertainty of, uh, you know, kind of some of the negative things, negative things that happened this off season, you didn't want that to pester. You didn't want guys to come into camp wondering what was going on. And uh, they were very proactive about it. And Scott was very proactive about it. And these weren't just him coming to, you know, Logan Gilbert and to Ty France, and J.P. Crawford and Luis Castillo to tell them what was going on. It was also to listen to them and to get their thoughts. And it wasn't always just one visit or one phone call. There were multiple conversations that occurred. And I, I think that really helped set the tone so that when they got here, those questions were answered and they could focus on what they wanted to focus on, and that's putting last year behind them, getting that bad taste out of their mouth after not making it to the postseason, getting to work and seeing what they could do this year. Shannon, you kind of mentioned Cole Young's name there. I know Service has spoken highly of him to start camp. Any other names that uh, Mariners fans might not be too familiar with that have stood out to you in the first few handful of games? Yeah, you haven't really because you only see one or two of them, so it's 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 tough to see. I mean, I'm going to keep an eye on Tyler Locklear. He's another player that could be pressed into action as he is a true first baseman and they haven't had a true first baseman backup in a long time. I think that's important. Um, they have a lot of young infielders. This camp has got 74 in it right now. I'm interested to see, and we just haven't really seen a lot because he was kind of a, a late sign, but uh, Brian Anderson, I mean, is yeah, he's on that split contract. He could play third base for them. Is that a decision that they're going to make at the end of spring training? Luis Arias, not sure what the situation with him is. Coming back with the shoulder, and we've seen him. He's been in the game as a DH, but we haven't seen him throw even in any drills yet. We have seen him play catch a little bit, but we haven't seen um, him progress into the drills, which he needs to do. And you're kind of getting to the point right now with a player like that where I think it's safe that you know, even if you were planning on platooning him at third base for the season, opening day very much in jeopardy because he's not throwing it. Shannon, you said something the last time we spoke to you that uh, reminded me of my kids. You said, Julio, he's growing. You see it in his face, right? No longer, no longer yeah. looks like a baby. And I thought about my son. And then I thought <laughs> about just how the conversations change with my kids as they get older. You've been around Julio and this team for a little bit so far. Have you seen a change in his conversations, the way he, he, he holds himself, or is it the same old Julio? 
unfortunately, we haven't seen him as much because he's been hurt. So that's a little bit of a, he's here, but he's not as available as he normally would be. But that said, I was very impressed with his, he yeah, had a media session right when I got here with the, with everybody who was here. And he was very much more specific in his comments and he was very accountable to what they did last year. And uh, yeah, I think I heard a little bit of a maturing in that he felt secure enough in where he was and in his words that he was able to say what he was feeling rather than what he thought we wanted to hear or he thought he should say, which I think is great because, you know, he is going to be a team leader before we know it. And he kind of, you know, he is all important in in what they do. The team will go probably as Julio does, but um, he's going to grow into a little bit more and being somebody that can have those conversations with people and see him comfortable with it. Uh, it was really great to see. Shannon, we've seen a lot of veteran leaders uh, move on over the course of the last year. Gino getting traded to Arizona, Paul Sewald getting traded to the same team, Robbie Ray, Marco Gonzalez, uh, a lot of guys who have been around the game for a while. Do you think the Mariners would have made those trades if they weren't confident in the group that's here and the leadership that we've seen guys like Cal and, and JP and, and uh, you know Julio's kind of morphing into that role too. Uh, do you think the Mariners would have made those trades if, if they weren't confident in the group that remains here and their ability to lead a ball club? Hmm. Well, yeah, I guess there was a decision to be made. You know, you go forward with what you have or you roll the dice with that. So, yeah, I think that probably did. I hadn't thought of it that way, but it probably did play a factor in uh, what they did. And, you know, they didn't go about kind of remaking things the way, you know, obviously that they had planned to because of uh, the money situation. But you did make some moves that could perhaps, you know, prove to be beneficial and that you did want to cut down on the strikeouts. And you did want to kind of continue to move things forward in, uh, you know, where guys are on the upswing. And so at that point, yeah, I think that it's very important that you have that leadership. And the one place where they are a little bit short, but I'm not seeing any issues with it, is on the pitching side. But, um, yeah, I think that did help kind of make the decision between the two choices where you could have run as you were and you hope there wasn't too much regression with the players that you had or you hope that, you know, Kelnick was going to take that next step. There was certainly some... Um, question marks about what you had and instead go in the direction and have the opportunity to choose something more specific. So um, I do think that had something to do with it. And I think that is a credit to the organization and the players and that they have been able to develop young leaders as quickly as they have. She is Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Shannon, we appreciate your time. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Shannon. You got it, guys. All right, let's get to four down territory. This is Four Down Territory, going inside the game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. Bob, yesterday a ton of GMs and head coaches spoke at the Combine. Something that was said by Bears head coach Matt Eberflus jumped out to you that further supports that Justin Fields will not be in Chicago next year. What was it that Eberflus said? I mean, we all know this is going down, right? Or at least it should go down. But what he said was, we look at guys who can operate on third down, two minute, and end of the game situations. The Bears on third down last year were 50% 16th in the NFL. 
in uh, 2021, they were 41% in 2022. They were 32%. That was last in the league. So third down, check. Justin Fields ain't doing great in third downs. Now, now let's talk about late in the game situation. In the fourth quarter, he completed 51% of his passes last year. In the fourth quarter, when he's down seven, he completed 48% of his passes last year. His best quarter is starting the game. In the first quarter, he completes 74% of his passes. When it comes to throwing the most touchdowns, you go to the second quarter. So he's okay in the beginning of the game. Just late in the game, he struggles a bit. Now, it's, just, it's not all just his fault. There's a lot of things that happen, but you got to read between the lines sometimes when these guys are talking, and that's what I hear. He goes, look, this guy wasn't good on third downs and late in the games. Therefore, we are going to go ahead and get Caleb Williams. Again, everyone thinks this is going to go down. I'd be surprised if he stays. Again, coach talk. Sometimes it's real talk. <laughs> Second down. Speaking of situational football, what situations did Geno Smith excel in last year, and which situations would you like to see him get better in? Uh, here's where he excelled, man. He played his best football when his football team is behind. When they are losing games behind one to eight points, he completes 64% of his passes. He has 11 touchdowns. When they are tied, he's completing 76% of his passes. He has six touchdowns. Geno plays his best football when his team is behind. When they're ahead, this is when it changes a little bit. He only completes 56% of his passes, and he has three touchdowns and three interceptions. So Geno likes the pressure is what this is telling me. He feels the pressure, and he does his thing. His best quarter... It's not even a quarter. It's overtime. In overtime, he completed 85% of his passes, yet he only played one game in overtime. He was seven for six. And then in the fourth quarter, he's thrown seven touchdowns when they are within seven points. I look at this situation and I go, yes, Gino is not perfect. There are some places he can get better. But there's one thing to be sure. If there's an opportunity to win the game, most likely he is going to go ahead or he's going to produce and throw footballs and be on point. Um, again, people say I go to bat for Geno, and I do, because I think that he should be the quarterback next year and give him another year to prove his worth on this football team. But it's all about situations. That's what football is all about. He's great in the first quarter. He's great in fourth and overtime. He's great when the team, when his football team is losing. He doesn't really feel the pressure or he doesn't let the pressure get to him. So if there's anything you can count on is Geno Smith late in the game, at least keeping the team afloat. Third down. Bob, why are football debates the hardest when it comes to deciphering the greatest at any given position? It's crazy. We always go to quarterbacks when it comes to the goats. They're not even the best football players, right? But we always talk about <laughs> typical non-quarterback <laughs> opinion. Typical QB hater. I was a quarterback in high school. You know, I give them a little love. <laughs> but we always go to the quarterbacks. I'm, I'm not mad at that, but I think it, it's hard to determine who's the best because every position does something different and requires a different body type. Like we're, for example, you got Jerry Rice and you got Megatron. Jerry Rice is the best receiver of all time. But you look at Megatron, you go, man, I love to have a receiver like that, right? You just don't get those guys. And the debate that kind of sparked this for me was Gronk versus Kelsey. Here are their numbers. Postseason stats, 22 games, all right? Gronk has 98 receptions. Kelsey has 165. Gronk has 1,300 yards. Kelsey has 1,900 yards. Gronk averages 63 yards per game. Kelsey averages 86 yards per game. Gronk has 15 touchdowns. Kelsey has 19 touchdowns. If you're just looking on paper, you're looking at Kelsey and saying, man, he's the greatest tight end of all time. We want that dude. You put on the film, 
Don't forget what Gronk right. used to do to people. He's running you over. He's blocking. The run after the catch is crazy. And then what you do with pass catches is that you connect them to quarterbacks. They're connected to the two greatest quarterbacks of all time, in my opinion. That's why it's so hard to determine who the greatest is when it comes to positions because each position that carries a football or that runs the football is connected to another position. Unless we're just talking about defensive players, it's hard offensively. And I'm going to go out and say something. The best football players are on the defensive side of the ball, in my opinion. It is raw. It's raw athleticism. You're reacting. You're flying to the football. You can cause interceptions, fumbles. They're violent. The most raw and athletic players are on the defensive side of the ball. So when we're really talking about the greatest football players of all time, I'm going to start with the defense. I respect the GOATs, the quarterbacks. They're the most important part of a team. But raw football players, the best, I'm on the defensive side. I'm going with Ed Reed. I'm going with LT. I'm going with Reggie White. Starts on defense. Fourth down. What do you like about Panthers head coach Dave Canales' approach to handling second-year quarterback Bryce Young? He says, um, we're going to take him off the high dive. Right. We're going we're going to kind of limit expectations when it comes to Bryce Young. And I think that is the perfect approach to this whole situation. You're the number one pick. You're undersized. There's a lot of pressure on you. And then I, as I as I talk myself through this, I think about Dave Cadalas and who he is. He was the quarterback coach for an undersized quarterback. He understands how these guys have to maneuver in the pocket and the things they have to do to see these throwing lanes and get guys open. Uh, Canales did a great job of just taking pressure off of the quarterback and saying, look, he's on like a two to three year type of plan. And I think for the most part, that's how it should have been to start Bryce Young, Young's career. Instead, I think their expectations were too high. Frank Reich is there only for 11 games. You got all this transition going. Let's reset with Bryce Young. Now, I still think C.J. Stroud is the better quarterback, and he will be the better quarterback, but that doesn't mean that Bryce Young cannot be serviceable in this league. So, big ups to Canales, man. I, I love the grind. He was in Seattle for, what, 10 years and goes to Tampa Bay OC, and now he's the head coach in Carolina. I think it is the perfect match having Canales over there to kind of mentor Bryce Young through the same because he did a great job when it came to Russell Wilson. All right, that was four down territory. When we come back, we're going to get to the timeline. You got uh, Nicole Harmon, who has some interesting things to say. Max Struess, 49-foot game winner to beat the Dallas Mavericks yesterday. We'll talk about all of that next right here on the Bump and Stacey Show. This is the timeline with Bump and Stacey. Brought to you by 1-800-DUIOA. This is the timeline on the Bump and Stacy show. We got Curtis Rogers filling in. What's blowing up your uh, your feed on X, man? This first one is interesting. Chiefs wide receiver McCole Harmon wasn't thrilled with his brief stint with the Jets to start the 2023 season. Why? He felt there was uh, no direction and guys were treated differently. Cut number five. Y'all treat certain guys that shouldn't be treated like they should be treated. And I just feel like it's not an established coaching staff there as well. Like, you just got a new coaching staff that came in. It's no standard there. It's like everybody do what they want to do. And defense have a more of a stabilized standard with that, with the coaching staff on that side. So you could tell the defense got a standard, but the offense is just like, all right, we'll just figure it out. It's Aaron's show. Let Aaron do what Aaron do, you know what I mean? But then when Aaron go down, it's like, we don't know what to do. Before I respond 
this one thing. Oh, I'm going to respond. This one thing I can take from that. He will never play for the Jets again. I promise you that. He's I going, think he's quite happy with that. Uh, I said, think he's quite happy to say I will never play for the Jets He said, look, again. man, you go in there, the defense is on point, but there's no real direction with the offense. It was the Aaron Rodgers show. But I would assume that wherever Aaron Rodgers is, is at this point of his career is going to be the Aaron Rodgers show. Yes, but I also think that the Jets did not do a good enough job of building up the team around Aaron Rodgers to make it into a viable contender even with Rodgers and when he was healthy, you you saw the warts on the roster and you saw the warts uh, with the coaching staff and just how toxic that situation became after Aaron Rodgers went down for the season where it, it just was not viable for that team to win at a high level in 2023. Um, yeah, I believe Michael Hardman when he says there was no direction offensively, but defensively there was. Robert Sull is a defensive head coach. I would imagine he spent most of his time working on the defense because he had Aaron Rodgers offensively and Aaron Rodgers had Nathaniel Hackett as his offensive coordinator. Mm. And I don't think took into account the, the disaster scenario that was Aaron Rodgers going down after the fourth play of the season. So yeah, I, I believe uh Nicole Hardman when he says, yeah, there was no direction offensively at all. Yeah, um, there wasn't any direction. And you know what? I think about Nathaniel Hackett. He's had a rough couple of years, man. You're over there with the Denver Broncos. We all know what happened with Russell. Then you come over to the Jets. Aaron Rodgers says, look, this is my guy. I need him here. You lose Aaron Rodgers. A lot of it is falling on him, but I I think he deserves another shot, right? You don't have your quarterback. Things are going to change a little bit. And now McCole Harmon, he can walk into the situation and, and, uh, and move a bit differently. Why? Because he's played in Super Bowls. He also mentions how Jess can tell him nothing about winning because he's played in four of them things in five years, cut six. Y'all can't tell me about winning. I've been to four Super Bowls in five years. You know what I'm saying? Now, you feel me? But beforehand, I told I've been to four AFC championships. I've been to three Super Bowls. I've won two of them. Like, I know what winning looks like. I know what winning is. So y'all keep telling me certain things. It's like, I'm not going for that. Like, because y'all not doing it right. Like, we got hammers on the ground. We don't got no discipline. People feel like it's too many individual egos in this locker room or whatever. And I'm telling them, I'm like, that's not going to get y'all to win. It's not going to happen. Get y'all to win. He should say, we're we're not going to win. And and probably, he probably was saying that in that moment. Uh, but he's right. That has to be tough. To be McCole Harbin, you've seen what success it looks like right. over an st- extended amount of time, but you're also not a main contributor either. It's not like he's a quarterback True. or the, the the captain on defense. He can bring the guys up in the locker room on the sideline and say, hey, this is what you're supposed to be doing. I would imagine his role is kind of pulling guys aside and say, hey, man, try this. This is what we did with Kansas City, but that also might uh, might run on, uh, on tone deaf ears. Well, and what's interesting, too, about this interview is that he did it with uh, Ryan Clark, uh, his podcast, The Pivot. He he denied, I think, or, or he brought up that at one point during the season, he texted Patrick Mahomes and texted Andy Reid and said, come get me. And the Chiefs ultimately did. They traded for, I think they traded a late round pick to the Jets to re- reacquire Meikle Hardman and uh, the rest is history. The Chiefs ended up winning the Super Bowl. Uh, and I think it was Hardman that made the uh, game-winning catch, if I'm not mistaken, in, so. in in overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, so he ended up getting his his third ring. But yeah, like going from the Chiefs and the winning that they've done to the Jets, I imagine that was a culture shock for him. Um, but I also think like he should have known going to a dysfunctional organization like yeah. the New York Jets, like. 
things are not going to be what they were in Kansas City, at least in in terms of uh, you know the on-field product. We'll get to all of these teams in the NFL because today, uh, later on, we're going to talk about the player, the NFLPA player survey, and just kind of where each team ranks in certain categories that the Players Association has. Chiefs, a very surprising spot where they are, despite all the success that they've had. But yeah, Michael Hardman kind of saying the uncomfortable truths about the Jets organization, um, but also it's like you should have known what you were getting into. You know what I love, too? I love when uh, when punters enter the chat, and, and they have something to say about the situation. Pat McAfee is probably the greatest trash-talking punter of all time, but uh, the Jets punter got into the mix. Man, Jets punter Thomas Morstead had this to say on X. He posted, be careful getting information from disgruntled former employees. Getting beat out by a rookie free agent after being guaranteed millions of dollars is tough to deal with. Entitlement is a killer of opportunity. You have to earn it every year. Well said. I, I, great job, um, the, the punter entering the chat and and, and sticking up for his um, his organization. And McCole Harmon was never really a, a Jet. You know, I, I would imagine now when I got cut from the Seattle Seahawks, I'm sitting around waiting for a job, and my agent says, "All right, let's go up to Canada and play for um, a year or two up there mm-hmm. and just see if we can get you back in the league." Now. During that time, the Seahawks had the best facility in the country in, um, when it comes to, you know, VMAC. And we were the first team in there, and now I'm driving up north to Canada, and I get to the BC Lions, and I kid you not, their weight room was as big as the studio. Wow. Uh, the facility, it looked like just a ran-down warehouse. It was bad. I would imagine that's how McCall Harmon felt walking into the Jets organization and just the feeling that he got when interacting with people and seeing how things are being ran. It's just like, nah, this ain't it. This isn't what I'm used to. So, um, yeah, man, McCole Harmon, he won't be playing for the Jets again. We can promise you that, though. <laughs> I think he's quite all right. <laughs> he's all right with that. All right, next on the timeline, uh, Cavaliers guard Max Strews hit the second longest game-winning buzzer beater in NBA history last night in Cleveland's win over Dallas. Cut seven. Doncic bounce underneath the PJ and he laid it in with 2.6 to go. Cavs out of timeout. Struce into Mobley. Back to Max. Half court shot. Good! Good! He hit it! Cavs win! This place is going crazy! The crazy part about that, he's done this before. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is what he does. In 2016, while playing for D2, Lewis College, Struz hit an even longer one uh, that was the number one play on SportsCenter's top 10. He, hey, he's got ice in his veins. Yeah, you got to get a man on him from 60-plus from <laughs> feet out. Uh, yeah, those kinds of shots are, like, you can't do anything about them if you're the opposing team. You just got to tip your cap and say, yeah, we got beat. Uh, Arizona last year against ASU, lost on a shot that went in from three-quarters court uh, at McHale Center. Like, that was a a brutal, brutal day for me. Uh, (laughs) What's more impressive, a shot like this or, like, a Hail Mary from, like, 50, 60 yards out? I think this. I think this. Because Hail Mary, it's tough. Don't get it twisted. But I feel like there's more skill involved in shooting a basketball from that distance. Yeah. If you got hands, you got hands. We all play uh, back when I grew up. It's called three flags up. I think you guys call them flyers up, flyers up, up yeah. here. Yeah. That's how you know if you got hands or not. I mean, to shoot a basketball from 59 feet in that moment, be clutch. It's all you. You get the ball, you dribble, you shoot with uh, with a Hail Mary. You get a little help from a quarterback. But, uh, yeah, big ups to us. Uh, to Struz. Second yeah. time he's done something like this. Crazy. 
Next up on the timeline, infamous Kansas City Chiefs fan Chiefs Aholic has pled guilty to bank robbery, money laundering, and transporting stolen property charges stemming from 11 bank robberies across seven states. My man's on a mission. He was on a mission. He faces up to 50 years in prison and has to pay $532,000 in restitution. This guy's a legend low-key, though. Uh, he <laughs> is – he reminds me of, like, the Barefoot Bandit and just all those, like – tall tales that people tell about these like thieves and, and robbers and whatnot. I watched an E60 feature on him and it was one of the craziest like hours of television that I've sat through. This guy is insane. Uh, he would take the money that he stole from these banks and place like huge wagers mm-hmm. on sporting events. And that's how he was able to afford his lifestyle uh, he would travel to every Chiefs game home and away, and he would do these robberies as he was driving to these games. So he was based in Kansas City, and so there's you know a lot of teams in the Midwest area or, or that portion of the country. I believe he got caught finally when the Chiefs were traveling to Houston for a game. He was driving from Kansas City to Houston, and he stopped midway in Oklahoma to rob a bank and, and ended up getting caught. Uh, and he did it wearing the mask that he wears yeah, at the games, right? I believe so. Just uh, one of the most bizarre fandom stories I've ever seen. Uh, glad he's he's no longer harming innocent <laughs> bank workers and, and citizens. Did he hurt anybody? I don't think so. But I mean, you don't rob a bank without being Causing strapped. Trauma. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Uh, glad this guy is, is is no longer able to do that. All right, that was the timeline on the Bump and Stacy show. When we return, Mel Kuyper has a mock draft out, and you know who he doesn't have going at 16. That is J.J. McCarthy. Curtis and I will break it all down next on the Bump and Stacy show. Bump and Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Football season is over, so it's a uh, mock draft season. And you know what? Um, there is this 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 site or whatnot where it, it allows you to be the GM, right? You go through your picks or whatnot, and my brother-in-law will send me just random mock drafts that he created himself uh, about once a week, leading all the way up to the draft. You're like, what you think? I go, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, Pro Football Focus has that mock draft simulator uh-huh. that a ton of people just spend hours, hours. on every day and be like. What about this? You know, it's like, yeah, it's just kind of all random. Yeah, it's like, a possibility. Yeah. You but know? what if, what if that guy's not available? And sometimes they'll hit me with names at the number 16 spot. I got to go look up. I go, I don't know yeah. what you're talking about. Or, or it's like, look who I got in the sixth round. It's like, never heard of that guy in my life. <laughs> I trust your judgment on right, this. I trust you on that. But you know, who we do trust more than others. Uh, Mel Kuyper, you know, he, uh, he does his homework. Even if you don't agree with some of the things he says or his mock drafts, you know, it's not coming uh, from a place that's not informed. And what he did was he had the Hawks taking UW's Choi Fautanu at number 16. Curtis, do you like that pick? I like it. It's not a sexy pick. Obviously offensive line is not their biggest need right now. It's a need for sure, especially on the interior. I still would like to see them go defensive line, specifically like a defensive tackle, maybe a Byron Murphy, Tavondre Sweat, one of those two guys, um, to plug up the middle. I wouldn't be mad at a Troy Fautanu pick at pick number 16. I do think it's interesting, though, Mel Kuyper 
has JJ McCarthy going ahead of where the Seahawks are at. He has them. T- he has him going to Denver at pick number twelve. Um, I wonder if he's hearing things about McCarthy and just kind of maybe he is being valued a little bit higher right now. And then obviously with Denver and their situation about Russell Wilson, they're going to need a quarterback. I don't think you can go into next year with Jared Stidham as your as your starting quarterback. Nah. Um, so that would make J.J. McCarthy a very real possibility, number 12 for Denver. Um, but also, Bump, yesterday when we heard Mel Kuyper uh, have this to say about J.J. McCarthy and his ceiling and how he thinks Daniel Jones is going to be a better NFL quarterback than him. We'll get to J.J. down the line a little bit here. He's a tough one for me. I'm at 23 on my big board. But I think when you look at mock drafts and projecting where he'll go, I do think he's definitely going to be QB4. I will say this. Daniel Jones, to me, is and will be, when we look back to the careers of Daniel Jones and J.J. McCarthy, Daniel Jones is going to be a better quarterback. Daniel Jones has already shown Mm. he can be a winning NFL quarterback, a really good quarterback. That cooled me greatly on J.J. McCarthy because I'm not high on Daniel Jones. And to say that Daniel Jones will have a better NFL career than J.J. McCarthy uh, really does not interest me at pick number 16 or really anywhere in that first round. I, the crazy part is, is is I disagree with him. I do. People are like yeah. so hard on J.J. And I get it, right? No one really knows. We'll know in about a year <laughs> exactly who J.J. is or what his potential can be. But I think if he's with the right right coach, he could be okay. And it, if he does go 12 to Denver with Sean Payton, I guarantee you Sean ain't going to be yelling at him on the sideline like he did Russell Wilson. He's going to be more of a nurturer, right? You have to de- develop this guy. But obviously Mel watches more film than all of us. And if he says he thinks Daniel Jones is going to have a better career, you got to take that into consideration. Um, but going back to Troy, man, I love that pick. I think that um, – now, Schneider said the other day that Olu and Anthony Bradford can compete for a starting spot. Still waiting to see what they do with Damian Lewis, who's a free agent who played guard for these guys. Um, I look at Troy, and I've watched film on this young man. He has great feet, great balance, great technique. He is what you look for. Now, he played the tackle position for UW. He's a bit undersized. I see him moving inside. But when you watch Grubb's offense and the way they used Troy, they pulled him a lot as if he were a guard, a lot of counter looks, a bunch of power looks. And um, he looks swift, man. So I wouldn't be mad at this pick. Um, I also wouldn't be mad if they did go a quarterback at number 16. But you look at the needs of this team. Um, I'm going to focus on, on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. I, I get J.J. I get Troy. And if they go that route, I get it. But you need D lineman. You need a linebacker. You need a safety. There's a lot more to do on the other side of the ball. And you've got a head coach in Mike McDonald, who I think probably wants to get his hands on a lot of these young players in the draft especially on the side of the ball that he's most familiar with and to be able to have, you know, potential game changers on the D line that you have not had, like that's going to be very enticing. Um, Seeing what McDonald was able to do with some of the recent draft picks that the Ravens had Patrick queen at linebacker, Justin Matabuike at defensive tackle. I mean, he really helped those guys elevate their games and then also you got to see kind of what the Seahawks are going to do in free agency. Maybe that's going to tell the tale of where they go uh, in the NFL draft. But right now, yeah, I think the trenches are where you need to focus this draft. We did talk about it at the beginning of the show, though, like what Pete and and, and McDonald – or not Pete, when, what Schneider and McDonald have <laughs> said in the most – in the recent days and weeks since McDonald was hired about the quarterback position. It doesn't sound like they're you know super settled on anybody – 
for the long term. So that's always going to play in the back of your mind of like, well, they're still they still could take a quarterback here. Mm-hmm. Ever since the Russell Wilson trade went down, the Seahawks have kept the door open on acquiring another quarterback. Like that's not a that that door is not going to shut until they find that guy. Geno Smith has been great over in 2022. I think he had another good season in 2023. He did get a lot of hate uh, for kind of some inexplicable, like I, I didn't see what some people saw in their hatred towards him, or at least their mm-hmm. criticism of him. Uh, so, but again, is he the future of the quarterback spot with the Seahawks? I don't see it beyond this season, especially with how Schneider and McDonald have, t- have spoken about him. Um, Grub too. So that kind of is still out there, that possibility of taking a quarterback. Um, but I think unless there is a quarterback that is going to be one that takes you to a Super Bowl multiple times in this year's draft, and the only guys that I see that could have that potential are the, the three ones at the very top, then I think maybe you, you pass it on by. You know what I hate when I'm going to different websites is when they ask me to take a survey. I always skip the survey. <laughs> well, the NFL PA has a player survey, and the results are out. This survey, I'm all for. Curtis and I <laughs> will break this survey down next on the Bump of Safety Show.